Hi, and welcome to the Wellness Strategy Podcast. I'm Amy, and I am the founder of the Wellness Strategy, and I'm here to talk to you about all things wellness, well-being, and self-care. This is not one of those wellness things, though, where you need to get out your yoga mat or make a cup of herbal tea. It is all about you, what works for you, and finding your wellness strategy. In these episodes, we are going to unpack all different ideas around wellness, well-being, and self-care. It is not a one-size-fits-all model, so get excited. Make sure you join us in every episode as we unpack, discover, and talk to different people about what well-being, wellness, and self-care really looks like so you can finally find your own wellness strategy. Hello. You're in for a good podcast today because this is the second time I've had to record it. So here's hoping all goes to plan. I went on way too many tangents and wasn't looking at my computer and when the screen like shuts down it stops recording apparently anyway let's dive into today's episode this is of course amy from the wellness strategy and we're talking about why well-being has a bad rap so what i want to tell you is that first of all well-being is perhaps not as we perceive it i think over time we've really morphed the word well-being into it being something that it's not and so many of us are accustomed to thinking well-being is about going for a walk, putting on a morning tea at school, lighting a candle, doing a yoga class, like pretty nice stuff. And all of this is important. It's essential to our well-being and it's definitely part of who we are and what we should be doing if it works for us. But it's not the answer to well-being. Our well-being is not that simple. It's actually far more complex. And if you have heard me speak before or read any of my work you will know that I firmly believe that well-being is not this uh it's one small part of it well-being though is not about what we do it's very much about how we feel who we are how we're being it's the essence in us it is not our many patties as pretty as they are so I think at the moment what's happening is we're seeing a shift whether you're a teacher in a school or perhaps in another workplace around what well-being needs to be and why it's a a priority. And I think what we're realizing is that our approach to well-being isn't enough. It's not helping people. It's not changing the environment or the culture we work in. And there are certain spaces where I, I have been exposed to, come across, where people feel like nothing is happening in the well-being space. And I really want to be clear and say that no employer, no leader, no principal is sitting in their office with the question on the whiteboard that says, how can we make sure our staff are miserable? What can we do to make sure we don't look after our staff well-being? That's not happening. I can assure you. What is happening though, generally speaking, I think everywhere, even just for people, is that We have this warped idea of what well-being is and it's not our fault. So I'm going to give you a quick history lesson here. Well-being was never intended to be as we see it. In fact, psychology was never to be as we intend, to be as we intended, intended to be as we see it. Prior to World War II, psychology had three main focuses. The first was helping those with mental health or mental illness issues. The second was working with gifted and talented. And the third was helping everyday people thrive and get more out of life. How cool is that? However, 
the third option really was forgotten for a number of years. And post-World War II, there was an increase in people with mental health and mental illness issues due to the war. And so what we saw was a lot of funding being put into that space, which is really important. And the American Psychology Association therefore then spent most of its time focusing on that area. And as that happened, we learned to believe that psychology is something that operates at a deficit model. It's something we access when we're falling apart, when we feel like we can't go on, when we feel like we're at rock bottom or we're literally on the floor and we need help or someone tells us we need help. But as you can see, that was never its intention. So in 1996, when Martin Seligman was made president of the American Psychology Association, he decided he was going to make it his mission to bring back the third focus of psychology, which was helping everyday people to flourish, which is why you may know him as the founder of positive psychology. He is not the creator of that, but he is very much to be celebrated for bringing it back into our everyday lives and for now having self-help or personal development sections in every bookstore because he really put a lot of work into how do we help the everyday person? How do we help everyday people flourish, live better lives, feel like they've got more fulfillment, quality, all of the things that we're now seeing come through? What has happened though is for many of us, we still feel like we can't or shouldn't or won't or the idea idea doesn't even occur to us to access something that's going to help us because we perceive that psychology space as being it's only for people who are really ill, who really need it. There are people who are far worse than me, so why would I do anything for myself? And it's no one's fault. It's just a conditioning piece because of what um, happened and the shifts we saw around the psychology focus. What we're seeing now, though, is a movement where a a number of people are realizing that they can make changes for themselves. Now, this is not to be confused with toxic positivity, where we just smile, move on and get over it. Not at all. What we're talking about here is really understanding what well-being is. Now, the reason I say well-being has got a bit of a bad rap is because I think at the moment what we're seeing is this idea that well-being is all about getting mani-pedis or going for a walk around the block or getting a massage or putting a fruit bowl on the staff room table or having a meeting-free week when everyone's really tired. And those things, whilst important and sometimes helpful, are really more about our subjective well-being. They're quick fixes, maybe band-aid solutions. They don't really help the problem. Now, You may not have heard of the term subjective well-being, so let me unpack this for you. When I did my positive psychology uh, diploma, they talked about well-being having two lenses. And to be honest, this was a game changer for me in the work that I do. Well-being has two two lenses, two frames, whatever you want to call it, subjective well-being and psychological well-being. Now, our subjective well-being has really become what we know as well-being when in actual fact it's not it's one part of it subjective well-being is to give you a little bit of a definition is normally what's external from us it's those quick fixes it makes us feel good it's instant gratification it's based on oh I'll just do that because it's nice it's easy it's quick wins we get runs on the board so it's that kind of stuff it is the massages the scented candles the having a bath the going for a walk the meeting free weeks putting on a morning tea it's the nice, warm and fuzzy stuff. 
But the issue with subjective well-being is that it doesn't actually bring about long-term sustainable change or impact our well-being in the way we need it to. So what I mean by this is it doesn't matter how nice your mani-pedi is, it's probably not going to help you shorten your to-do list. It doesn't matter how beautiful and delicious that afternoon tea spread is in the staff room that you all enjoy when it's a meeting-free week probably not going to help you mark books faster or get your reports done. You see what I mean? Sometimes when we see ourselves feeling a bit blah or our staff feeling like that, we think, oh, their well-being must be down or, oh, my well-being's flat. I've got to go do something. And so we go and do these nice things and it's very well intended and it comes from a great place. But because it's a quick fix, because it's about instant gratification, because it's about boosting our mood instantly, which it serves its purpose for, It doesn't actually address the long-term root cause of the problem. So what we have to start to do is really look at our psychological well-being as well. This is about our fulfillment, our values, about working on our beliefs, about growth and contribution, about learning, about giving to others. It's a really, really different piece to, oh, let's get a yoga instructor in. Or let's go and do a Pilates class. It's really different. It is the deep, hard work of well-being that we are missing within ourselves and within our workplaces. Now, I know that there are some people out there who have awesome subjective well-being, that they've really figured out what works for them and they do it as a daily or weekly practice. And I think if it's not always ad hoc, if it's sustained, so if maybe your exercise is sustained or you get a mani-pedi every fortnight or uh, you walk each day in nature because you know it helps reduce stress, which our research shows it does, that's awesome. Keep doing it. But if you continually rely on waiting until you're like basically falling apart or so tired or can't get off the couch or like irritable that you've got to go and do something, then the subjective well-being you're using is very much ad hoc and reactive and it's not going to help create any long-term change. The same as if you're a leader or an employee or you manage a group of people uh, on staff. If it's always subjective and it is off the back of, oh, staff look a bit flat, maybe we should cancel all meetings this week or, oh, let's do like um, a massive Friday morning tea, that'll make them feel better. Your intention is there, your intention is fantastic, but it doesn't address the root cause. So we have to start to understand that whilst we as individuals are responsible for our own well-being and we need to make the changes ourselves and we need to do the work and we need to perhaps stop looking for external reasons for why we can't do anything, there too is a piece that can be played In the workspace. And I want to talk about this because often what I hear is my workplace doesn't care about well-being or my well-being can't be fixed because it's my boss's responsibility, my principal's responsibility, my leader's responsibility. My insert here doesn't care about my well-being. I'm so stressed because it's my leader's fault. Now, I understand that at times people may feel like this, but as I mentioned, no leader or boss is intentionally thinking about how they can destroy anyone's well-being. It's not it's not what we do. What we are going to have to understand though is that whilst someone doesn't necessarily do well-being for another person because let's all be real here, 
you know, someone doesn't make you get a massage. Someone doesn't make you go for a walk. Someone doesn't make you go to bed on time or drink more water, eat the right foods, build emotional management strategies or engage in positive mindset. No one can do that for you. We have a role to play as an individual. We have responsibility. We take action. But as a leader, an organization, a principal, whatever that is in a school, the role they play in this is to make sure that there are systems and structures in place which support well-being to happen. That's not doing well-being for someone, but that is actually going, what systems and structures do we have in place to support the well-being of our staff? Now, what I want you to understand here too is that this is a long journey, just like for us as individuals where we're working out what well-being looks like for us because we're finally all going, oh my God, I don't have to do yoga if I don't want to. Like, why didn't someone tell me that 20 years ago? Our workplaces too are going, okay, so we can't make everyone do yoga. So what does it look like? What can we put in place? What can we do? What can't we do? What can we change? What don't we change? It's a really difficult change organization piece it's a really different shift we're all trying to make it's change management it's massive the other thing I want to highlight too is that in some places they have these systems and structures in place and they work really well for some people but for some people they don't work because it's not just about the system and structure it's about the person So you can have the systems and structures in place to support your staff or your team or your colleagues or your family even. Wonderful. But if the people don't come to the party, if the people don't do the work, if the people don't make the change, if the people don't take responsibility for their well-being, then the systems and structures don't work. And it's not the systems and structures fault. Now, This is where we have to understand that our well-being can't be outsourced to an employer, to a principal, to a team leader. It doesn't work that way. We are very much responsible for doing the work ourselves. And the reason I think that for a long time now we've looked at well-being as being this nice fluffy thing where if you smell a candle life will be better is because the actual work is hard. I am speaking from experience. The real work on owning who you are, on reflecting on how you behave, your actions, your thinking, your beliefs, your values, the decisions you make, and taking responsibility for that is sometimes quite confronting. It is sometimes not only confronting, but makes you think, oh, I don't know if I like that about myself. That's not a bad thing. It means that you have as Martin Seligman was, has brought back for us this opportunity to flourish and change. And so we have to start to understand that whilst we all want to work on our well-being, you can't solve it with a good book on the couch. I mean, I wish we could. But at some point, we have to step into a space that says, I'm ready to do the work. I'm ready to make the change. I'm ready to figure out what wellness looks like for me. This is why within the wellness strategy, we have the wellness library, which is very much your entry level into what well-being really is. And some of it is still in that subjective space, still figuring out what self-care looks like for you. And we all need that. But then we have Prosper, which is our well-being mastermind. And this is within this space where you do the real work on psychological well-being. This is where we look at values. This is where we look at alignment. This is where we look at what are our beliefs. This is where we might look at perhaps some 
past traumas that we need to heal that we have taken into this space. This is where we look at why can't I change my behavior even though I want to? This is where we reflect on the people we hang out with or the conversations we have or our emotional management strategies and our ability to be flexible and agile within our emotions, not because they're not valid, but because it's about learning our psychological well-being. It's also too about what's, what does subjective well-being look like for me? What does self-care look like to me? It's really about committing to doing the work and the change. Now, this is an example of if a workplace or a school had a structure where they offer all staff the opportunity to be a part of prosper and work on their own well-being through a mastermind, then the person has to come to the first, the meetings and the sessions and do the work. Because it doesn't matter how much information you have, if you don't do the work, it it doesn't make any change. So can you see what I mean? We all individually play a part in this, but collectively we've got to do our work too. And if we're sitting in a position where we do make those systems and structures, we can do our piece as well. But it's all about working together. It's all about knowing who can do what and then who needs to do what. It's not about sitting back and going, oh, well, my boss definitely doesn't care about my well-being, so I just can't do anything at all. You can. You can do things. We all can do things. And that was Martin Seligman's point. That is the piece of psychology prior to World War II that we forgot. You can flourish. You can find your optimal way of living. But it's not easy. It does require deep work. It does require perhaps change. It does require breaking old patterns and starting new ones. It might require doing things like exercising each day, which when you first start out, like almost no one enjoys because it's hard. It might mean giving up your devices after eight o'clock. It might mean not drinking as much coffee. It might mean being really mindful of who your friends are or the conversations you have in the staff room because what you realize is you gravitate towards negativity and those conversations that bring us down. And in actual fact, that doesn't help us to feel more fulfilled in the workplace. Like, whoa, major. So this is what I mean by acknowledging what well-being is and doing the work. It also means if you're a leader or an employer or a principal or leading a well-being team, you may have to realize that when you have been putting things in place to support well-being, it's not always as simple as let's get a yoga instructor in because it is not a one-size-fits-all model. Not everyone has to do yoga. Walking is not for everyone. People don't always want to go to the staff room and have a morning and morning or an afternoon tea and chat socially because it's not for them. So it's about not thinking that we can fix this with a one size fits all solution. It's about not waiting until we realize our staff are falling apart. Now, let me just talk about that for a minute too. It's really important to understand that As humans, we naturally experience a full spectrum of emotions. Now, we mightn't be great yet because it's part of psychological well-being at identifying what those emotions are, where they're coming from, what they mean for us, what they're telling us. But one thing I want you to be aware of when it comes to working on your well-being is when you do feel flat, when you do, do feel blah, when you do feel like, oh, my God, I can't go on. There's nothing wrong with feeling like that, but that is data for you on what's happening for you right now. If you're a leader or an employer or a boss or whatever title you go by, 
and you notice that within your staff, you have to ask yourself, what is going on for them right now? Because too quickly, what we want to do is go, oh, let's cancel all meetings and put on an afternoon tea or, oh, I'm going to go get a massage and not do any work for like five days. That's subjective well-being. When in actual fact, we need to say to ourselves, what is happening? How do I feel? Why do I feel like this? Or what's happening in our workplace? Why does staff feel like this? Has this happened before? Is this a pattern? Because when we start asking those questions, what we get to is the root cause of the problem. And when we know the root cause, we can address it rather than band-aid it with donuts and yoga instructors and massages and mani-pedis. We've got to stop band-aiding it. We've got to come down to what is the root cause? What do I need to change? Can I do all of that now or can I just do a part of that? That's what's really important. That's what you need to be aware of. Not just, oh, there's something going on with me, so I'm going to go and like take Friday afternoon off and go away for a weekend and just chill out. Like, yeah, we need that. That's super important. Subjective well-being, tick. But that's not addressing what is really going on for either your staff or you. So we all play a role in this. Can you see what I mean here? It's really important that we understand, one, what well-being is, subjective and psychological, and two, that if you're a leader or employer, you do have the power to create systems and structures to support that in your workplace. And if you're listening to this either as an employee employee, and or just an average everyday human like we all are, you too do have a role to play in terms of taking responsibility for your own well-being. Yeah, I said it. It's really important. We all play an individual role as well as a collective role. Pretty crazy stuff, hey, to think that many of us fall into this trap of thinking that well-being is about those nice things that we do. And I know that we're seeing a shift towards different frameworks coming in and obviously um, Seligman has his PERMA model and there are, I think, just Google it, there are heaps of different frameworks now. But we've got to be really mindful that we don't just step into each of those frameworks, different things that people should do or thinking that it's a one-size-fits-all model. It's really, really not. It is so much deeper than that and it requires more work than just going through a list of things and ticking boxes. So remember, our well-being requires a balance of both subjective and psychological. Our well-being does require our ability to check in with how we feel and sometimes those quick fixes to get the wins on the board are important. But it also, in parallel with that, requires long-term work around our subjective well-being. Our well-being also requires us to take responsibility for what we can do. And if you're an employer or a leader, thinking about the systems and structures that are in place to support well-being for your school. And sometimes it means actually saying it out loud, not assuming people know, because sometimes people don't. Whether that's as an employer to your employees or whether that is yourself to your family or your friends around you. Like we've got to start communicating some of this too. So I'm going to leave you with that. I know that some themes in this might be a little bit prickly or a bit bumpy or maybe you're hearing from them for the first time. If that's the case, remember, all emotions are data. Give yourself a minute to think what is really going on for me here. If you want to reach out, please do. I actually would love to know what you think about this. 
um, brave new topic for us all, I think, in exploring what well-being really is, perhaps unlearning and relearning either what it means for us, the responsibility we can take, the actions we can take and the decisions we can make, or if you're a leader or an employer listening, thinking about what that looks like in your workplace and know too that this is all the work I do. I work with individuals through the library and Prosper and I work with schools and teams or places of employment to help you build a wellbeing strategy and framework that works for you contextually and works for your people. It's not a one-size-fits-all model in any space. So you've got to do what works for you, right? Okay, I'm going to love you and leave you. I hope you have enjoyed this, that it's given you some thinking points. And please, as I said, let me know what you think. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, so it's not quite the end. We couldn't wrap this up without giving a shout out to our socials. So please make sure you head over to Facebook and follow us at The Wellness Strategy with Amy Green or join our exclusive Facebook group, The Wellness Strategy Collective. You can find us on Insta at underscore The Wellness Strategy and also head to our website to find out more about us and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at www.thewellnessstrategy.com.au. So much gratitude. See you somewhere soon. Let's do this again.